first steps this week. So um, if you're a first time guest or a 20th time guest, please come and see us next week. There'll be food. And I don't know about you, but that's the only reason why I'm going uh, in Jesus name. Amen. <laughs> it's okay to laugh at that. That's all right. Praise God. Amen. But can we all stand? Amen. Hallelujah. We're moving to the greatest part of the service, which is the word of God. And I just want us to, why don't we welcome and uh, thank God for our pastor, Pastor Nathan Elms. We love you, pastor. God bless you. Come preach the word to us in Jesus name. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord, somebody. Before you're seated, smile at your neighbor and say, I need you to focus for a little while here today. Tell them, say, I need you to focus here for a little while today. Say, I need you to get off your phone. Go ahead and tell them, say, get off your phone. It'll be there for you at the end of the service. And tell them this, say, whenever I say amen, you say amen. Uh, see, we're going to have some good church now. One more time, put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We bless you, Lord, today. We worship your name. We glorify you. We praise you. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. All right. So, um, started a series in the 9 a.m. I'm not doing it in the 11 today. It'll be in the 11 next week. You guys know how I stage my sermons. Um, I, it's funner for me, and it also gives me time to sit with things for a little while. Uh, it does consistently terrify my wife, though, because she thinks I'm confused, and she's heard it twice, and she thinks I'm preaching it for the third time. And so uh, that is my revenge, because at home, she preaches back all my messages to me, and that's the only way I can get any revenge. But uh, today, I'm preaching from this subject, What God Calls Awesome. Somebody say, That's Awesome. What God calls awesome. I'm going to uh, read from you from Exodus chapter number 34, and we're going to go into this passage together to try to answer this question of what God calls awesome. This is verse 5, 30, uh, chapter 34 of the book of Exodus. If you're visiting with us the first time, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for taking a chance on us. We hope you feel at home. If you're watching us online, thank you for your time. God bless you all. Let's get into the scripture. Verse 5, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Aren't you glad you live in the New Testament? Judgment is a, is a frightful thing, but through Jesus Christ, we are in a new day of hope, promise, and spiritual renewal. And let somebody say yes. yes. Verse number eight. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. That is the correct response to the presence of God. He bowed and he worshiped. You humble yourself, you exalt him. All good church is about us humbling ourselves and exalting the name of the Lord. Then uh, Moses said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we're a stiff-necked people. Elbow your neighbor, say, I didn't know you were in the Bible. <laughs> even though we are a stiff-necked people, 
and pardon our iniquity and sin and take us as your inheritance. Verse 10. And the Lord said, behold, I make a covenant. Remember, you guys have heard me say it a lot. You will hear it more fundamental insight into God is that he is a covenant giving and a covenant keeping God. And the reason why you should repent of your sins and try anew afresh is because you want to live in covenant with your savior, your redeemer, your strength, your friend that sticks closer than a brother. You want to be in covenant with him. Somebody say amen. I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing. It is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And that's the word of the Lord. Uh, we oftentimes, uh, we, we have a sense in our life of both God's presence and uh, we also seek to have a sense in our life of God's glory. I want to, before we spend much time building a scriptural or a sermon foundation, I want you to start out by acknowledging and perceiving the difference between God's glory and God's presence. God's glory and God's presence. They are not uh, the same thing. There is levels. There are textures to God's presence in the world and God's presence in your life. Let's just for a moment here explore this uh, together. First of all, there is the omnipotence of God. You know what that means? God can do anything. There is the omnipresence of God. What does that mean? God is everywhere. God is everywhere. In your dark trial, yes, you can say it with me. God is there. In your loneliness and emotional setback, God is there. You have to see that as a biblical truth more than you need to feel it as an emotional truth. Your emotions will often deceive. Your emotions will confuse. And if you cannot hold this spiritual truth as a insight, a foundational, a necessary knowledge, it will be then that you're stuck with only what your emotion can give you. I want you to stand on something more profound than your emotion. I want you to stand upon promise. Oh, somebody believe it with me here today. I want you to stand on promise. I want you to stand on Jesus saying, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Another passage, into the end of the world, I am with It's not going to feel like it, so I need you to stand on promise. Whenever you are living under the oppression of emotions, it's time for you to talk back to your emotions and say, I choose the promises of God. Whenever you feel alone, you need to talk back to that feeling and say, I choose the promises of God. He has said he will be with me always. I choose the promises of God. Over here I have emotions. Over here I have the promises of God. I choose the promises of God. So the first, the first uh, 
um, knowledge, the first texture to this truth is the reminder that God is everywhere. You can ascend into heaven, he's there. You can descend into hell, he is there. God is everywhere. That's the first layer, you might say, of understanding to God's presence. Uh, The second is my ability to perceive his presence. One of the reasons why we come together, we sing together, we pray together, we clap our hands together, we wave our hands together, we shout hallelujah together, is to heighten our ability to perceive the presence of God. This is a biblically important idea that you need to understand. There are more than a handful of places in the scripture where this lesson is taught in the following way. A person wakes up to the fact that God is with them. They did not realize that God was with them, but they are awakened. Somebody say, wake me up, O Lord. They are awakened to the idea that God is with them. Uh, Real quick, you will remember, first of all, the great story of the patriarch Moses, who is hiding from his own bad decisions. He feels as though his life is over, but it hasn't really gotten started yet, because the life he can have in God is far, far more important than the life he could ever have in the flesh. Amen. And again, I say amen. He feels like his life is over, but the truth is his life has not even begun yet. And so here you see him uh, seeing in some way a representation of divine power. How does that come? There is a a bush that is burning in the wilderness, uh, but it is not being consumed. So imagine you are in a desert area and you see that a bush is burning. Uh, The fire isn't spreading because naturally uh, bushes are not clumped together in desert areas. They are more isolated. So there's this bush. Perhaps it was struck by lightning. Uh, It is burning. Uh, And the first time you see it, it doesn't catch your attention. You see, notice this process because there is a testimony in the process. The first time he sees it, it doesn't catch his attention. He notes it and he moves on because this is not the first time he has seen a bush on fire. Why does that matter? God often uses things that you once thought thought were ordinary. You once thought they were happenstance, but now you sense the presence of the Lord speaking to you in your life. That's why you can have a carnal person have the same set of circumstances that a spiritual person has, and the spiritual person has a sense of God giving them insight. And the carnal person's like, huh, what? When are we going to eat? (laughs) So the same thing that is ignored by the carnal is coming to the awareness of someone who notices a uniqueness about it. What is that uniqueness? The fire continues. The fire continues. The fuel of the fire is not consumed and the fire dies. The fire continues. There's whole messages that could be preached right here. Uh, But Moses is 
made aware of the fact that this is not an ordinary fire. He thought it was just another day, just another fire, just another bit of smoke on the horizon, but it is not going away. It is the sign from heaven, day after day after day, of God calling you, the sign of heaven, of God God trying to get your attention day after day after day after day after day. And finally, Moses thinks to himself, I might should investigate that because anything that is that steadfast might have some durability to it. And so he journeys over to this fire that is not being consumed. And it is here that the word, the voice of the Lord speaks to him. And what does the Lord say? Uh, Take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. God was here and I did not even know it. God was here. I thought it was just another brush fire. God was here, but it was a new day. I thought my life was over, but God was here and he had a word for me. Second patriarchal picture is uh, a Jacob running for his life, and he goes to sleep with his head on a pillow. He went to sleep in a place called um, uh, Bethel. Uh, uh, well, it would be called Bethel. He named it Bethel. This is the house of God. He saw an angelic uh, demonstration in his sleep. He saw the dream of a ladder between heaven and earth and the ministering spirits of the Lord ascending and descending. This is a picture of how heaven meets earth's needs. And he wakes up and he said, God was here. I did not even know it. Is there any room in your life, if you're going to accept promise, which is that God is everywhere, is there any room for your li- in your life where God can reveal his presence to you, not just in promise, but in a sense of testimony? Is there any room in your life where God could speak to you? If you're not, you're not making enough time. You're not making enough time. You're not setting aside any time. Is there any place in your life where you might be awakened to the sense that God was here and I did not even know it? Oh, let me be a voice of hope in your life. Let me speak some promise over you. Even in the circumstances you feel like you don't have hope, I believe God is working. Even in the areas where you are filled with a sense of defeat, God is working. Where you have quit trying, God is just getting started. Take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. Why? Because God was here and is here. Uh, This is the second level where our understanding is open to see uh, the presence of the Lord. And then finally, finally, my favorite one, my favorite example of this is uh, the example of Isaiah. And he is in uh, the temple. And um, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Show us your glory, Lord. He was high and lifted up, and his train filled the, temp- the temple. I'm not talking choo-choo trains. Train followed kings in ancient times of all of their victories, of all of their power, and marching behind them with all their banners and all their soldiers and all their wealth was the train proclaiming the glory of the king. God was in his house, and his glory filled the temple. And uh, he says, woe is me, I am undone. And I love this, but I, be honest with you, I like it better in uh, one of the 
other translations than the one I'm most used to reading it in, where he says, woe is me. And another translation, I don't remember exactly the name. As soon as I quit trying to remember, I'll remember. Um, (laughs) um, But he says this. He doesn't just say, woe is me. He says, I am ruined. Woe is me, I am ruined. I am undone. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. And the angel took a coal of fire from the altar and touched his lips. If God doesn't cleanse us, there is no hope for us. We are ruined by the presence of God until he cleanses us. But once he cleanses us, we are changed by... Oh, come on, somebody. Um, And we perceive his glory as an awesome thing. Somebody say awesome. Now, uh, let's be honest. We overuse the word awesome. Uh, We, uh, in fact, I had some fun and I uh, generated uh, uh, a funny news story called the awesome epidemic. Scientists concerned about out-of-control use of the word awesome. A new linguistic study is raising alarm bells over what researchers are calling, quote, the awesome epidemic. The comprehensive analysis of American speech patterns revealed a nearly 10,000% increase in the usage of the word awesome over the past decade. Scientists are warning that unless the overuse of awesome slows down, the word could practically become meaningless within a few years. Dr. Adam Boring, don't you love it when I... We call a doctor a boring. Dr. Adam Boring, lead researcher at the Institute for Word Overutilization. Not real, I made it up. Described the findings as, quote, not awesome at all. People today describe everything as awesome, Dr. Boring explained. Their lunch, their dog in a Halloween costume, a a math test they got a C on. Somehow, it's all awesome now. And this saturation of awesome threatens to diminish the word significant, the word significance. The study found that 98% of millennials and Generation Z rely on awesome to describe experiences ranging, experiences ranging from mildly pleasing to incredibly epic. And when asked for an alternate description, most simply replied, uh, awesome. Authorities are urging the public to curb their awesome addiction and exercise more discretion when deploying the word awesome. A PSA campaign called, quote, Give Awesome a Break aims to rehabilitate society's overuse on this constant superlative unless we change courses. Change course. Experts warn that no one will take awesome seriously anymore by 2025. And Dr. Boring concludes, we face a humorless future where everything is awesome and nothing actually is. That was for your listening pleasure. You're welcome. We use awesome for everything, right? We say everything is awesome. We use awesome as a filler word. You know filler words when you don't know exactly what to say? I use nice as a filler word. People say, so anyway, we went down there. I don't know what they're talking about. I say, nice. Awesome is actually a biblical word. How about them apples? Awesome is a biblical word. 
The Bible uses the word awesome 38 times in the New King James Version. 35 of those refer to God, and they're mostly used in the Old Testament. They're only used once in, um, in uh, the New Testament. Uh, but this word that's translated to us as awesome means to fear the Lord and literally to be afraid. Uh, secondly, to be filled with awe, which is the emotion of the inability to describe what one is experiencing. Number three, to feel reverence, to honor or respect. Or uh, number four, to cause astonishment, to cause awe or to be held in awe in reference to uh, godly fear or uh, godly devotion. So let me give you, since we're on the subject, a few of the scriptures where the Bible uses the phrase awesome. And this should, if nothing else, lift your hearts to a higher level of faith and give you confidence to face the uncertainty of the week to come. Exodus 15 and 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in uh, glorious deeds, doing wonder? I've come to tell you the God you serve is awesome. I'm not overusing the word when I say it thus. I'm not ruining uh, the dictionary when I say it thus. The God you serve is awesome. You may be blinded by doubt. You may be limited by perception. You may be held in the carnality of the flesh. But as a preacher, I do you nothing but a dishonor if I allow you to accept any definition for the God you serve except this one. The God we serve is awesome. Whether we're talking about awesome in holiness or awesome in glory and power or awesome in his mercy and grace for us, the God we serve is, say it with me, Job 37, 22, God is clothed with awesome majesty. Psalm 66 and 5, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of men. How about Nehemiah 1 and 5? And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Oh, here's one of my favorite. Psalm 68, 35. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. The God of Israel, the one who gives power and strength to his people, blessed be God. How about Daniel 9 and 4? I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God. God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So I have given you some scripture. Now let me uh, reiterate that truth. God is awesome not only because he is omnipotent, but he is omnipotent. He is awesome not only because he is omnipresent, but he is omnipresent. He's not just awesome because he's omniscient, knowing all things, but it is true. He is awesome because he is omniscient. He is awesome because he is immutable. He cannot be silenced. You can ignore him. You can deny him. And he will speak to you from the shadows of your life. You can hide in all the experiences of the flesh. And you can seek meaning in all the lusts of the flesh, the mind, the eye. But in the afterlife, 
aftermath of your efforts. He will speak to you from the empty places. God is awesome because he's infinite. There is no end to what he can do. He is awesome because he is sovereign. He needs no justification. He testifies of himself. God is awesome. He is to be respected. He is to be reverenced. He is to be venerated. His works are beyond description. He's awesome in his creative power. He can say, let there be and there will be. He's awesome because of his character. He's awesome because of his nature. He's awesome because of his qualities. Merciful, kind, loving, and strong. He's awesome because he would like to help low beings like us. He's awesome because he will defend the weak. He will protect the downtrodden. He will avenge life's losers, and he will deliver us all from sins. Is anybody excited to praise his name here today? Now, having done my best to do justice to this truth of the awesomeness of God, I want to take a moment and I want to invite you to consider the difference between uh, the presence of God and the glory of God. They are different things and they come with different risks and benefits. They come with uh, unique truth that must be understood if you're going to reflect upon these types of questions at all. What is the difference between the presence of God and the glory of God? In the passage we read, there is a unique moment where Moses is asking for the Lord uh, to be with him uh, as he strives to take the people into a new place. Now, there are so many lessons in the story of the uh, deliverance from Egypt, the years in the wilderness, and the promise of a land that flows with milk and honey. There are profound lessons that speak to God's desire to open your life to new potential. God always is opening doors of your life primarily to uh, potential, not simply answered prayer, but whole new ways of being. This is difficult for us to understand because we think in terms of possessions. We think in terms of what we have in some way received from the Lord, and we want this. I, Lord, I want you to uh, help me get a better job. Uh, Lord, I want you to help me quit eating so much chocolate. Lord, I want you to help me uh, make my wife uh, laugh at my jokes again. Lord, Lord, I need help. I need help. And I'm asking you for help. We think in terms of requests in time. That's important. Because we are creatures of time. And we think God's gifts are primarily about rewards in time. Are you with me today? I want you to consider this. I know it's a bit of a deeper thought, and we might need to slow to have this appropriate consideration. But God's gifts in our life are not primarily about you finding a thing or gaining a thing. They are about you stepping into a whole new potential. When you receive an answer for God, it's not just an answer to one thing. It's a new relationship of knowledge. 
when you receive healing, it's not just relief from trouble. It's an invitation to a new way of living, a new way of faith. And so you should let your prayers reflect the fact that everything God does for you is not simply an award given in time to reflect the past, but it is an opportunity given in which you stand in a whole new future. This matters. You'll see this in every divine encounter where God does something for someone. It is more than the gift. It is the elevation to a new way of being, a new way of living. Stay with me. When the children of Israel leave Egypt, they had nothing to do other than to offer the lamb of Passover, let the blood save them from judgment. And the Lord did all of the work because they were slaves and they hadn't strength. When you come to God, the Lord forgives your sins, washes them away. He doesn't expect you to solve your sins. He doesn't expect you to pay the price for your iniquity. God has done it all. Somebody say yes. All you have to do is let the Passover lamb be applied to your life. Jesus' blood washes your sins away. That is about dealing with your old identity. That's about dealing with the old you. And from deliverance, where God has done everything, Everything for you, you enter into the hard work, the wilderness experience of life change and heart change. And God is what? With you. He is always testifying of his presence. You have a pillar of cloud by day and you have a pillar of fire by night, do you see? He's always there, but you have to do the walking. He will not walk for you. You have to walk. Yeah. He will sustain you. He will get, come on somebody, I'm doing a better job of preaching than you're doing responding. Thank you in advance. Um, I want you to see here, you have to do the walking. He will protect you. His presence will be with you. He will put testimony on every horizon, day or night of your life that he's with you. And when you have no other source of sustenance, there will be manna. Because you are doing the hardest thing you can do, which is heart change, where you turn away from the old lusts. The Lord has taken care of the sins of your past, but you have to not just get your carnal hide out of Egypt. You have to get Egypt out of your carnal hide. Coming to church is about grace and mercy, your sins being washed away, but then it is about walking away from a life of spiritual slavery toward a promised land of purpose, place, and anointing. And you know how you get from here to there? One step at a time, dear Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. One step at a time. Anyway, moving along. I was trying to take this service to the next level with my fine singing. You do it by putting this tired foot in front of that tired foot and you keep on walking. And when you're weak, God puts some manna on the ground for you to have. And when you're attacked, God protects you round about. And when you feel alone, you have testimony saying you are not alone. Yeah. <laughs> 
and you walk and you walk and you walk. And this part of the journey is so hard that uh, there must be shown to us in the scripture a testimony of failure or there'll be no hope for us because why else would uh, illustrative teaching lesson be given to us of a whole generation needing to die because they had identity problems. They could not change their identity from one of the mentality of the old way to the promise of the new way. They could not. They tried. They failed. Anyway, uh, I'm not preaching about that. And for time's sake, I'm just going to put that over here on the turntable of my DJ uh, setup here, and we'll just keep on going. Maybe I'll come back to that another Sunday. Um, but the point being is now they have to go to the promised land. The promised land is not about God fighting the battles for you. The promised land is about God saying you are able to fight the battles. Oh, y'all didn't hear what I just said. Now, y'all gave me a better amen than that, so I did, as usual, but I'm afraid that y'all may have missed that. Uh, How often do we pray, God, fight my battles, rather than praying, God, give me the strength to walk in victory? How do we often do we pray, God, let me give you a to-do list rather than saying, God, what is my, oh, Lord Jesus, what is my to-do list down here? Uh, We get it all wrong. We want the identity of promise, but we want the laziness of Egypt. Um, And so uh, Moses doesn't want to try to change anybody uh, if God's not going to be with him. He knows, uh, Moses, is not, he, he kind of gets it, you know. Um, these people have been driving him crazy for some time. Somebody say word. Uh, this is not the first time he's been driven crazy by crazy people. They've been driving him crazy. And he says, Lord, I'm not going up if you don't go with me. I just want to be clear. I'll kill them all and let you sort them out. I got zero tolerance. It's like that T-shirt says, what is it? I praise Jesus, but don't test me or something like that. You know, um, anyway, moving along. Uh, The whole idea, he knows these people. He's like, Lord, I'm not trying to get these people to do anything. Let me tell you a truth about uh, pastoring, just so um, you can know this. Um, One of the pastors that is the most influential uh, mentors in my life taught me this. And um, it kind of broke my heart, but... um, it was the truth. He said, never try to change a church. It's easier to build a new one than it is to change one. Um, but that is in, uh, and he admitted that's kind of in the face of what we're called to do. Uh, a pastor who doesn't try to change people is not a leader. He's a caretaker. Yeah. A pastor who doesn't try to change people is a babysitter, not a, anyway, moving along. Uh, Moses says, Lord, if you're not going with me, I'm not, I need to know you're going to be with me because I know you're here with me. And if I, look, I, if, if, if you're not going to be with me there, I'll just stay here. I would rather you than milk and honey. Oh, come on now. I would rather you than walls I didn't build and vineyards I didn't plant. I would rather you here than all that stuff and you not with me. And so the Lord says, I will go with you. And then Moses asked this question, uh, show me your glory. And the Lord's like, you don't know what you're asking there, bud. You, you, I know you're talking tough, popping them gums, but you don't know what you're asking for here. If I show you my glory, you will no longer be flesh. You will only be spirit. You will only be spirit. You will only be spirit. That means the flesh will have been what? Consumed. And are you ready? It's like someone says, I love shouting about heaven, but I don't want to see it today. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm good with the idea, but next 
next, next, next century. Um, we, 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 <laughs> Lord, you don't know what you're asking for, Moses. Um, the only way, and Moses presses on, and it's one of the unique stories in the scripture, where the Lord says, I can't show you my glory. glory. I can only show you the after effects of my glory. I can show you, as it were, the after effects of my glory. This is a beautiful image of testimony. I can't show you God in me, but I can show you a changed life. The power of testimony. I'll show you the after effects. It always makes us worry about people who are claiming great things, but their life never change. Okay, well, what about the after effects of God's glory in your life? What's God doing in a continuing work? And so the Lord says, tell you what, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and then I will call some of my glory to pass by. And what you're going to see is the afterglow of this glory. And this is the story that is told to us. And Moses sees as much as is possible and his flesh not be consumed. He sees the glory of God. Uh, God's glory uh, is very different than God's presence. God's presence is his intimacy near to us. It's his fellowship with us. It's his dwelling with us. It's God's presence that in the quiet places of your life, you say, Lord, I want to be more like you. It's his presence that touches you and wraps his arms around you. His glory devastates. His glory devastates. To see God in his glory is to end, hear me, your relationship with mercy. Why do I say that? Why was there no mercy for the angels when they rebelled? We know mercy is in the heart of God. We know uh, he redeemed for himself. He said, I don't do this for your sake. I do it for my sake. I do it for my name's sake. As if to say, the redemptive heart is in me. But why does it do it for the angels? I'll tell you why. Because the angels saw him as he is. And so they had no need for faith. We do not see him as we as he is. We see him through a glass darkly and we praise him anyway. That is why there's mercy available for you. There's no mercy for the angels. They see his glory. A day is coming when everyone is going to see his glory. And on that day, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, oh, y'all can do better than that. Every knee is going to bow, every, that Jesus Christ is, to what? The glory of God. Let me tell you what else happens on that day. There's no mercy anymore. If you wait till that day when you need no faith, there's no mercy anymore. God's glory produces within the human heart terror. It produces a sense of Isaiah-like confession. Woe is me. I am ruined. Now you see why I love that scripture so much. We often in our uh, life 
demonstrate all of the passions of the flesh, which means we, like Eve, are obsessed with God's glory, God's power, because what we really want is to have that power for ourselves. And we can fall in love with the glorious demonstration or an ideal of the glorious demonstration to the exclusion of a presence. Now, why does that matter? Well, first of all, um, this example is shown to us in the scripture, John chapter number six, where the Lord has done many, many miracles among them. He has demonstrated his power many, many ways. And the people not, our people are not changed by their demonstration to what? Glory. When you heal a sick body demonstrably, let me tell you, that is about as glorious a solution to a human need as anyone can ever ask. When you demonstrate power over spiritual bondage and oppression, that is the glory of God. When you raise the dead and they walk in newness of life, it is a demonstration of the glory of God. So why are his critics not transformed by glory? Why are they not transformed by glory? This is the same issue shown when uh, the rich man prays that Lazarus would be resurrected and sent to tell his brethren about a place of judgment for wrong sins, errors, and rebellious spiritual living. And what does Abraham, or Abraham speaking across the great gulf that separates them, what does he say? Even if Lazarus was resurrected and went to tell your brothers what? They would not believe. The glory of God, the glory of God is such that if we are exposed to the glory of God in an unveiled manner, we then stand in the same role as the created beings in heaven who received no redemption and had no access to Calvary. We see God's glory through his works among us. That's why we pray for healing. I want to see God's glory in a manner that is safe. In other words, show me the after effects of you being in this place. I want to see life change. Somebody say yes. I want to see people bound by addictions to be set free from that bondage. I want to see families put back together again. I want to see new confidence in the promises of God in people who have been living in despair and hopelessness. Why? That is the after effects of his glory. And I want to let it be shown here at First Church, oh God. Let it be shown at every time we gather together. Every time we come into this house, we're praying for the miraculous demonstration. But watch. The miraculous demonstration of glory cannot be a substitute for the presence of God. Back to John chapter number six. And so um, uh, here the people come again. These are the critics of Jesus. Have they seen miraculous things? Yes. Are they changed by it? Not really. And they come and they say, you know, we've been thinking about cool tricks. Um, Our fathers saw manna in the desert. And if you are the one, they've they've been asking him this same question. If you are the one, they will not believe the signs that have been given. Here is the next test 
that is in some way revealing their desire for religious entertainment. Uh, show us manna and then we will believe. But this is the, this is the, this is the, 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 the moment where the Lord says, no, he flips the switch. No. And he says, no, I won't do it. And then he says this to him, them, I am the bread of life. Presence. They want the miraculous. They want the demonstrable. They want Hollywood sci-fi tricks. And he says, no, 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 no. I am the bread of life. And what is it that they do? Well, he continues, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, referring to the sacrament of communion, you will have no part with me. And what did they do? The Bible says from that time forward, many of them walked with him no longer. It's possible we can desire glory as a misplaced version of religious desire and not really seek the heart of God. But his presence will go with you. Is that enough? Can you face the dilemmas of your life and say simply, I know God is not going to knock down the, uh, the fortresses of the giants for me. I know that. He is going to empower me to have victory over them. Is his presence enough? Can you only believe? Oh, it's getting quiet now. Lord, help me to wrap up quickly. Can you only believe if God does all the fighting? Can you only trust if God does all the warfare? Can you only, if God isn't showing out, I have no faith? Or can you step into your spiritual destiny and say, thou art with me? The difference in presence and glory. I will make this confession. I want both. Is that terrible? If it is, I repent in public. I want to see the glory of God demonstrated among us. And I also want to face the trial and say, if you are with me, that's all I need to know. I want to gather together with my brothers and sisters and I want to believe that you are able to be exceedingly more than you ever thought possible. I want to see your life change with testimony. I want to see the after effects of life change in you. I want to see you get your finances ordered. God does not do your finances for you. He's going to teach you how to walk and then you're going to put one tired foot in front of the other. God wants you to deal with your issues, your issues, your habits, your hang-ups. Cam said your hookups. I don't know if that's a good thing to say. Last week I said your husbands. God will help you with all of it. Okay? But I confess there is something in me that if it's, if it's pleasing to God, I want to see his glory work among us. I want to see the after effects of changed lives, delivered minds, healed families. Let it happen here in Jesus' name, I pray. But I also want to embrace and hold tightly to his presence. All I need to know, Lord, is that you are with me. <laughs> because if you're with me, who can be against me? I want to show you, in conclusion, as our musicians come, I want to show you the uniqueness, however, of what God calls awesome. So, 
Uh, here is what we call awesome. When God does mighty, mighty things, we say that is awesome. When I consider the heavens, I love, I'm, I love following the research in the uh, field of astronomy and, and even physics. I don't understand a lot of it, but I, I love it. I'm, 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 I've just finished up a college course on the great questions of philosophy and physics. And they talk about what can be known through physics and how it relates to the great questions of philosophy. And I just love that kind of stuff. And yes, my wife rolls her eyes, but moving right along. Um, I, I love the idea of, of, of the greatness of what God has done. I love the story of uh, Deep Field and how they uh, got some time. One of the famous scientists or, or astronomer got some time on a Hubble Space Telescope, and he decided to use his time that he'd been allotted in a unique way. He picked a tiny arc second of the radius of the horizon, uh, which is just very, very tiny. I think if you were to hold, I can't remember what it was, maybe, like, maybe it was a BB or something like this at arm distance. That's how much of the sky they were imaging. And as near as they could tell, they could not see. There was nothing there. No telescope had ever seen anything there. It was just emptiness. And so the first deep field picture was taken. And I believe it was eight days that they focused Hubble Space Telescope on that one tiny uh, spot of the sky where they thought nothing was there. And um, when they actually stopped collecting with that massive uh, space telescope above the atmosphere that distorts, uh, and they developed the pictures, and that one picture, you can Google it on your phone, deep field picture, and there is more galaxies than they could count that are shown in a part of the sky they never, they thought nothing was there. God's greater than you think he is. I know I'm impressed with my problems, but God is not impressed with my problems. God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Where's your faith at? God's not intimidated by cancer. I am. I'm a cancer survivor. God's not intimidated by trouble. God is a counselor. God is great. That is great in his glory. We're impressed with that. We look at that and we say, that is awesome. The heavens declare the glory of God. And more, as we have our values brought more uh, in line with God, you begin to care more about people than things. That's one of the natural changes that'll happen as you live a more spiritual life. If you care more about things than people, you're not living a spiritual life. You need to grow. Uh, just, just being nice and sweet about it. You, you got to change your values. Things don't matter like people. And so um, as you have that change, you want to see the glory of God. I see testimonies that are in this church, people who, it's a miracle they're here, but they are a living testimony of God's power. We look at that and we say, awesome. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with the... Don't even try to play that, brother. What does God call awesome? I know what we call awesome, but what does God call awesome? That's the text that we read. Exodus 38, verse 10. And the Lord said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. 
and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. Notice here, and here is the insight into what God calls awesome, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Back to Egypt. The people think it's awesome when God fights their battles. But God thinks it's awesome when the people become who they can be in God and he fights through them. God thinks awesomeness. (laughs) He thinks of it differently than you and I do. What God calls awesome is when he uses you to do something in his work. When God uses your prayers. Oh, y'all going to hear me here today? Do I need to preach another 30 minutes? God calls it awesome when he uses your faith. It's awesome what I will do with you. We think of God differently. We think of God like this. Stand back and y'all watch me. I'm about to show y'all something here. That's not what God does. God says, can I use you? Could I use you to start a small group? Oh, you won't think it's awesome. You're only impressed when I'm doing it all. Let me tell you what I think is awesome. If I could use you, that would be awesome. How about, would you like to work in a ministry for the kingdom of God? Would you like to find your place and serve other people and hear what heaven says? That would be awesome. If I could do it through you. God is not that impressed with what he can do on his own because he can say, let there be. And honey, there be. What's awesome is when he can use your cantankerous hide to make a broken world whole. When he can use your words to make a damaged family whole. When God can use your faith to step out on a raging sea of chaos as testimony to his power. Is there anybody who would like to say, Lord, here am I. Use me for your glory. Use me for your kingdom. Stand with me all across the house right now. Lord Jesus, I am praying that you would work among us mightily by your spirit. I'm praying, oh God, that you would lead us mightily by your word. I'm praying, Lord Jesus, that we would not grow weary in well-doing, but that we would call upon your name and we would desire you above everything else. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want, us to, I want us to take this service as a declaration service for our, our own lives and our own potential. And I'd like to remind you that we're still in January of this year. I want to remind you we're still in January of this year. I would like you to make a commitment that you're not going to lose another year to get involved in the work of God. You see what I'm doing here? You knew it was coming around to this. See, uh, yes, it was always coming around to this. How... 
about we make this year a year of service to the kingdom of the Lord? How about we make this year a year of consecration? How about you make a commitment that there's not going to be another year that's lost while I stand back and let God try to do everything, but I am going to step into divine awesomeness by letting him work through me. Would you make that commitment right now? If you feel that way, would you begin to make that commitment all over the house? Would you lift your hands? Lord Jesus, I am committing myself to a year of spiritual consecration. I'm committing myself, Lord Jesus, to getting involved. This church has many ministries, Lord. I've got to find a place I can serve other people. There is no testimony of divine love unless I'm demonstrating my love for other people. It's by this shall all men know that we are your disciples, that we have love for one another. That is awesome because it represents real change in our heart. Oh God, use us for the kingdom. Use us for the service of ministry. Use us to help other people. Use us through intercessory prayer. Use us to support ministries like Celebrate Recovery, support uh, groups like uh, Bold, and support uh, efforts like First Steps and Next Steps, and uh, support what we do on Wednesdays with Alcoholics Anonymous, and support the neighborhood by what we do through Backpack Drives, and what we do by setting up prayer tents and working with Sidewalk Prophets Ministry. Lord Jesus, help us to go to work with a sense of today, you're going to use me. Help us, Lord, to see our family with a sense of today, I'm going to speak your word among this family. In Jesus' name we pray, oh God. God's version of awesome is to use you to do his will. God's version of awesome is to use you to do his will. But you have to receive it. You have to claim it. You have to step up and say, here am I. Send me. I can preach all day, but I can't do that for you. How? What's your next step? What's your next step if you want to find a place of service to other people? The best thing you can do is go through our first steps, which is three lessons. It'll start next week. Happens every month. The third lesson is a gifts and personality test where you assess your personality type and we connect you to know about various groups of the church that you could work in, you could serve. That's the easiest place to start, here. But more than that, we have all of these ministries that cannot exist without people who show love for other people. In other words, God worked through me. Don't be one of those Christians who, if it's not blue smoke in the tabernacle, you don't want to go to church. Those are always the same people who go out afterwards and are the rudest to the servers. Have you noticed that? Uh, Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast 
and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.